Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. What is this week's gratitude blooming theme? It's card number eleven, the dog tooth violet, representing curiosity. This is a delightful、uh, conversation with Jim Hur, who is I met back in my former world of politics, and we were two Hapa guys、uh, supporting a friend, and then he sort of moved on to philanthropy. Uh, and he's been、uh, a great collaborator, and has a new role at the Japanese American National Museum, really focusing on the preservation of democracy. And so this is、uh, a fun conversation because it really is at this intersection of art and governance, and really like how are we tapping into our humanity and for what purpose?、Uh, and so I can't wait to、uh, share more about that conversation. And to hear Arlene, our very own artist,、uh, explore, and maybe, maybe we'll get to see some of her artwork in a museum one day. Yeah, so curious to hear, Arlene, what your remix or、uh, reframe of curiosity is all about. And、um, before we、uh, go into that, I am excited to preview the practice. You know, as many of you know, we have a practice at the end of. Our podcast, and this one is actually inspired by Jim and his question to us, Omar, at the end of our recording. So stay tuned for that. This week, I, I'd like to share an example of how the themes in our gratitude blooming cards often come up in our own lives in real ways.、Um, we often find it humbling when the cards remind us that we have to take our own medicine sometimes too. So the prompt for this week's、uh, card, the dog tooth violet curiosity, is: try being curious about something that feels uncomfortable. How can curiosity shed a light of understanding on something you fear? I remember being a little worried about our curiosity prompt because we didn't intend it to be a prompt to make people do overly risky things. I had a good friend describe a framework of growth once that made so much sense to me. She said growth was like a continuum of circles radiating out, starting with our comfort zone at the very center, and then moving out to our discomfort zone, and then eventually to an alarm zone as you move further to the edges. We really see curiosity as a way to move in a healthy way from your comfort zone into your discomfort zone, because that's where your biggest and lasting growth can start to happen. If you jump into the alarm zone too quickly, you can experience setbacks. My own recent growth inspired by curiosity came during an informal piano recital I recently participated in. I have a fear of performing in front of people. I sometimes have a fear just when strangers look at me. Through years of work, I've learned to be more and more curious about these fears. When my hands started to tremble when playing a piece I've practiced hundreds of times on my own with no trembling, I was able to observe the energy behind the tremble with a curiosity. What was this energy that had the power to move my hands outside of my own will? It came from me, but it was from a part of me that is mysterious and unknown. 
could I harness that energy? Could it make my own music making more interesting or engaging in some way? So this, the tremble stopped being something I was scared of, and it really became kind of a thrilling learning experience. I think curiosity is so powerful because it gives us a way to explore those thrilling places in our own experiences in a safe way. But it does take self-awareness, discernment, and courage, too. You need to know yourself well enough to be able to discern the difference between your discomfort zone and your alarm zone, and then to be brave enough to take the first step and move out of your comfort zone. What a great framing of curiosity and trembling and where we find those growth, alarm, comfort zones. Your story brought me back to high school when I was uh, starting to give speeches and to larger and larger uh, audiences. And I would get that those nervous butterflies in my stomach. And, you know, your heart starts to sort of move a little bit faster and palms get a little bit sweaty. And you're, and I think public speaking is supposedly like one of the bigger fears um, people have. And at some point, I just started to look at those butterflies in my stomach as just me caring. That I cared so much about what I wanted to share that it was just a sign that like I was alive. And so ever since I, and I still sometimes get those butterflies in my stomach and I'll just be like, Oh, I actually look forward to them because then it's like, Oh, this matters to me. I care about what I have to say. I care about how this is going to be heard. How is this going to be received? And, and so like, I want to just show up in my full self. Um, and so it's just been, uh, I had never thought about that through the lens of curiosity before. I love um, just having a framework to really gauge internally what is the right level of comfort and not shying away from discomfort, but also gauging like, okay, what can I really handle in a healthy way? And I have to say, the elementary school, middle school uh, person that I was trying to play piano in front of people, it was like a miserable level of discomfort. I mean, just because I didn't have that same passion, Arlene, that you have and that love for the piano, it was just more like, uh, I'm Asian American. I have to play two instruments and recitals have, you know, are part of these lessons every week. And so for me, it was actually uh not comfortable and it was um and it was also a good lesson and you know what do I want to lean into more and what do I actively want to step back from and um so yeah it's it's nice to be able to be curious about all these things and when you're growing up you don't have as many choices about your own growth um as as you do now and I um just really appreciate how these cards are just reminders for us to lean into some things in service of our growth. I was going through um, a challenge with something work-wise and just feeling frustrated with not being able to figure things, something out. And a friend of mine said to me, you know, what would life be like if there was no pressure and there was no 
figuring out. Like, would you really like that? And honestly, I wouldn't. So it feels like uh, this plant, this curious plant is kind of beckoning me to be like, it's okay, you know, this is what it is. This is, this is make it fun, make it interesting for yourself. I like that. What is the right level of comfort? Well, I was so delighted to review the conversation that we had with Jim because he is just such a delightful embodiment of curiosity, just from the way that he uh, we began the conversation with him and how he reflected on how this plant made him feel. And I have to say, after hundreds of circles and getting this card, this was the first time somebody had interpreted the dog tooth violet and its curiosity in this way. So we're going to start uh, introducing Jim from just this clip. So what's interesting is like the flower in the drawing is, it's kind of looking at itself. Like it's, it's looking, you know, kind of looking down, but that's where the body is or um, the leaves, its roots. So I think it's, is curious about itself um, and is self-reflective. I think for me, I'm always curious about myself, like how I got to be here in, in, in an existential way, but in a very sort of real way. Like there's always, I have a curiosity that of trying to work on myself and trying to figure out how to be better, um, how to, do things better, how to be a better person. Um, and so I'm always curious about uh, things that present themselves, opportunities that present themselves and what that means in terms of growth and how, how I either connect to it or how I already connect to it. And so I think the you know, the idea of, looking inward or looking down sort of inside of you is something that I think a lot of people are afraid to do. I think sometimes we don't want to look behind the the curtain of who we've created, but it's important to look at who we are, where we come from. Why is it that this is the way I am today? When you, when you look at the prompt now, when it says try being curious about something that feels uncomfortable to you, how can curiosity shed a light of understanding on something you fear? What sort of top of mind comes to you? I think part of the reason why we tend to not want to look too deeply at ourselves is that fear of finding out who we are. Um, and sometimes it's the fear of, of that we're not as wonderful as we think we are or that we're not um, as good as we think we are, um, that somebody will find out that we are imposters or that we'll find out that we're an imposter. Um, but I also think it's we're afraid that we might find that we're greater than we ever thought we are. And that there comes a responsibility with that. Um, not to be too Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. Like, you know, if you look inside yourself, and I think we all have that 
we all have a, a, a wide open universe of possibility if we look at ourselves and and really see ourselves for the potential that we have. I think that's something that can be very, very scary um, to be able to, to think that we have that light within us that can shine on other people and help other people. Um, it, it, I, I think it's very scary. I think it's probably more scary than finding out that you're not who you think you are, but that, but that all begins with curiosity. It all begins with wanting to dig deeper, to understand, um, to uncover. We were just talking about mining earlier. <laughs> like, how do you mine yourself? How do you mine the gold that's inside of you? I was really struck by how he reframed this whole thing about curiosity, you know, like, wow. I mean, maybe you're even more extraordinary and luminous than you ever thought you were. And, and if you didn't have curiosity, you would never uncover that gold that's within you. That was a total surprise turn in that conversation. And, and it, it starts with that relationship, you know, like that plant looking down on itself, its own body, its own leaves um why do i shy away from that what is it that makes it hard to look that deep um and i think he pinpointed it it is a really primal fear to look too closely to look at that trembling you know that arlene talked about and it's just it reminded me of one of my favorite writers thinkers jay krishnamurti he talks about meditation and meditation is simply how you would look at your breath with the same curiosity that you might look at a flower and when you just sort of look at a flower and as jim has right you sort of find this sort of opportunity to be self-reflective and to explore and just sort of peel back kind of the layers like oh you know whether it's the nervous fingers playing a piano or the nervous sense of who am who am I, but then allowing that to not be where you stop, but like, okay, that's just a gate that I pass through. And then I can see the gold or I can hear that music, you know, and see something sort of beautiful reveal is just absolutely amazing. Arlene, I saw your face kind of shift listening to Jim and I just need to know, I'm so curious (laughs) What is going on for you? <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. Well, hearing him talk about the plant looking looking at itself, because I, I often, when I look at the drawings, you know, when I relook at the drawings, they do seem to have these human qualities, right? So the fact that he saw self-introspection in this, it's like, yes, I do see that. And so, um, and then I felt, I was feeling very sad when he said the fear of, you know, looking within would, um, you, you maybe you you wouldn't like what you found, but I loved how it turned around, you know, and then all of a sudden it became, well, but maybe, maybe you're more than you even know you are. And to me, I feel like um, that transformation in his story just was so um, stunning and beautiful. And for those who are listening and would like to see the flowers, we definitely encourage you to go to gradtoblooming.com forward slash podcast. Every episode, we share the art uh, and a little bit about the story uh, on our site. 
because it just really, I think part of what we're trying to do here is giving ourselves space to interpret what's around us, whether it's literally the plant or a drawing of the plant or a reflection, because our interpretation is really the narrative that we're telling ourselves. And we really believe in changing the narrative of, you know, and I, I always go back to Brene Brown's idea that the opposite of scarcity isn't abundance. The opposite of scarcity is enough, right? Like how do we find enough? How do we find that we have everything that we need within us to be bright and bold and loving in the world? Yeah, and you all kind of got a taste of what our circles are like. You know, we look at the art as the anchor, and then from there, so much can be revealed about our own selves just from from interpreting the plant and and then drilling even deeper into the prompt. And it became more and more clear in the conversation with Jim how much he his story is the embodiment of this dogtooth violet. Halfway through the conversation, we got to this deep unfolding of what, you know, was really in there. And it it showed up in the form of Jim as a young child growing up outside of Philadelphia. So so I wanted to start with introducing him more from that place as a young child and, and what his reality was. I didn't grow up in Philadelphia, which probably would have, I don't know if that would have been better or worse. I grew up, I grew up outside, um, in what was a very rural area when I was a little kid and, um, became very much like suburban sprawl by the time I graduated high school. But I was still, my mother and I were like the only people of color. Um, about 10 years in, we, um, she ended up working for a Filipino doctor. And so there was like another, and they were a mixed family as well. Um, but there weren't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of color. And so, um, you know, that, def- that, that experience really defined, I think, who I am today and why I do the work that I do today, because I was made to feel different, feel, you know, not a part of the rest of what America was. Like I was literally told I was an American because I wasn't white and and I didn't believe it at first. And, but I think over time, it just kind of reinforced itself. And it, um, you know, I talk, been talking a lot recently, particularly with my job now about, you know, I really wanted to be, <laughs> really wanted to be president when I was a kid. Like I was that weird kid in class who like knew all the presidents, knew all the states, knew like the, the constitution and like just, yeah, weird little kid with, um, big dreams who, you know, was brought back down to earth when I was told I couldn't be president because I wasn't American. Um, and I said, that's, but I was born here. Like, yeah, but you're not really American. And what do you mean? Well, you're not white. And these were my friends that were telling me this. And I feel like they, they weren't being mean or condescending or even racist. They were just, we were looking at the world around us and, you know, 1970, whatever, you know, everybody at the highest levels of government was a white man. And so I think they were just trying to look out for me, like, you don't want to go down that road because it's going to go nowhere for you. And I didn't have enough of the support of a community around me to understand that that wasn't true. And so eventually I began to believe it and 
you know, all of those kinds of, even just the idea of, ser- of public service just seemed like it wasn't something that would be available for me. So heartbreaking. Just as uh, another Hoppe kid and, you know, feeling like I always had to check the, the other box. Like, you don't even fit into any of these categories. You just pick other. And, you know, I even think about my daughters and, you know, they're quarter Chinese, quarter Indonesian, quarter black, quarter white. And, you know, they're each going through their own cultural identity and there's just so much pressure and it's both highly visible, like his friend telling him like, Hey, you're not this, but it's also, I think even more, it's like a pervasive thing that's just in the air. And, you know, it's, it's a constant conversation with my daughter's, you know, one is slightly darker than the other is a little lighter and just how they move through the world is very different because one is sort of viewed by my youngest, slightly darker, went to, uh, the, the black student, uh, group and they're like, Oh, you're black. And they're like, wait, does that mean your sister's black too? And they're like, yep, that's the same mom, same father, you know, and so it's just, you know, and we've come a long way, you know, from, you know, uh, who is in office and who gets to sort of reflect what democracy looks like. But it's still we have so much more to go. Yeah, I could relate so much to his story. I mean, five years old landing in in rural Pennsylvania was me, too. And um, man, that's a reality check when you are pulled out of everything, you know, and and are confronted with being different and how do you still continue to embrace your your differentness you know i in the conversation omar we were joking because i just said you know i I need i have learned now in my 40s to embrace that i'm a non-conventional asian you know i'm just not (laughs) i just my parents have given up they're like okay she's never going to do things in our timeline that we expect and we just have to let it go and uh and i and I and I was really feeling his compassion towards his friends because that, you know, at that age, you either have to kind of blend in and just do what everyone else is doing to fit in and not get bullied, which I think that's what I ended up doing to survive socially. Um, but he also had a lot of compassion for them. Like we were looking around and that's what the world looked like. They, it wasn't to be mean to me. It was because this is what they saw and this is what they thought the world was. So I really felt that, um, that love in him too in sharing the, the pain of that story. That is why it's just so important. Sometimes dreaming can feel like too woo woo and like, Oh, we have big dreams, but we really do have to like sometimes dream beyond the current realities, you know, particularly if we don't feel like we're included in them and it becomes that much more important for us to really weave uh, and make more room, you know, because we all belong. So what happens to Jim? You know, this child, he says, I was a weird kid who wanted to be president. What happens to him as he grows up? And uh, this part of his story is really interesting because he decides to consciously make a move to California. And uh, this is where the story kind of t- takes a turn as an adult. 
And it wasn't until I got to college that I began to understand all the things that I experienced growing up. And I came to California for a lot of reasons. One was to just get away from the weather. I think I was one of those people that came to California on a visit. And if I could have stayed, I would have stayed, but I had to go home first. And when I got here, it was it was horrible. It was, you know, it was a harsh, cold reality wake up. Um, but it was also, I just knew it was the right place. I knew that this was where I was supposed to be, that somehow things would work out. It was where I first really, when I think about it, began to understand gratitude and how important that was because I had left a, a career position back east and just thought, you know, the world was going to open up for me here. And it didn't like I didn't have a place to live. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a job. Um, it took me a while, a long time to get on my feet. I was renting a room in an apartment with two guys who I had no idea who they were. But grateful that they were just kind people. Like I could have ended up in a really bad situation, <laughs> but they were, you know, they were like somebody was looking out for me somewhere in some, in some cosmic sense. And it was a, and I think I had to go through that period of, of not being able to find a job. I couldn't even find a job in a restaurant, even with all of my restaurant background, um, let alone like a career job doing what I had was doing and and I just kind of needed that to to get that sort of centered and then really understanding how my parents supported me because it's easy to kind of think oh you know your parents but my parents were really really um I think knee-jerk reaction they're like why are you moving to California you don't have a job you know that the kind of parental thing but but I think they they realized how important it was for me to do it, and so were supportive. And I and I think about my mom particularly because you know when she came to this country, she wasn't even allowed to be an immigrant. She was there was no path to citizenship for her. She had to keep going back to the Philippines every couple of years. And one at one point she was leaving, and her father said to her, "Why are you go? Why do you keep going away? Just stay here." And it's something that weighs on her even today. And But she said, you know, she wanted a different life and she wanted to take care of her family and she wanted to to do something different. And so I think for her to sort of criticize me for choices about my life that took me other places would, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't really do that. And so I think she understood that there was something that I needed to work out. I was really struck at the faith, the almost like blind faith he had that California was his place. Because with all that challenge that he describes, I would have been like, maybe I need to go back and <laughs> go back to my comfort zone. This is way too uncomfortable, you know, to, to not have a job and, and not even be able to work at a restaurant. I mean, that, I mean, you've got to think that there's something deeply there's deep faith and also deep curiosity. Like, Hey, let me like dig in deeper into why, you know, the discomfort. Why, why am I having to explore this right now? And, you know, sometimes that's a, that's a crossroads. That's a choice point where you have to say, is it necessarily challenging for my own personal inner growth or is it too challenging because it's not the right thing for me? And it's really striking how for him it was like, no, this is still the right level of discomfort for me to go into. 
it just, this brings up such a, I think, really thorny but important issue of just belonging, right? Like, do we belong because we adjust who we are and assimilate to the environment we're in? Or do we belong because we can be absolutely who we are and loved for who we are? Right. And that's, you know, it's something that we probably have all experienced in school at one point. We're like, hey, I'm just I'm trying to sort of conform to kind of fit in and feel like I belong. But I'm having to sort of adjust who I am. But like, where do I get to be that weird person, weird kid that has these passions and can be accepted for that? Right. And I feel like that was maybe what California spoke to him. You know, it was like, hey. We accept all kind here and, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily make things easier, right? Um, because there's maybe so many more different sort of ways of being, but did we accept those different ways of being? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I, I living in the, uh, in North Carolina for a lot of my, uh, uh, young adult life, um, people kept confusing me for Californian. Because they were like, you're too slow for to be a New York Asian. You must be from that West Coast, you know, place where people are more laid back. And I was like, okay, at some point you get enough people thinking you're from a place. You're like, okay, maybe, maybe there's a clue there to, to just move there. And, um, I was always envious of Asians like you, Omar, who like lived in the, in the California and just like got to be around. So many cool Asians. <laughs> yeah, well, it's definitely, you know, I did appreciate growing up in L.A. And we had, you know, the school I even went to was like intentionally diverse um, in its population. And it is sometimes a big cultural shock to leave L.A. and be like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that was the gift of the discomfort for me is like, oh, I really got to see this country in for in all the ways. Um, probably not unlike what Jim experienced and then consciously chose something, you know, different for himself. So we obviously know his story isn't going to just stay at the place of not finding a job. And so we're gonna hear how what was that turning point um that for him, the opportunity that came. Uh, to lead him to where he is now. And I hope for those of you that are in a transition like this, that you feel a sense of hope in his story. I feel like there's always been a pull for me in some way. Like, I don't know who it is that's pulling, but pulling me towards something. And without me knowing it, I was, I was laying the groundwork for what would become my career. Um, when I moved out here, one of the first, things I wanted to do was get involved with the community because I figured that would be a good way to meet people, good way to, you know, learn about Los Angeles, good way to maybe find a job because, again, we're selfish creatures to some degree. Uh, and, but it was, you know, it was those experiences of volunteering for organizations and then kind of when I got to Sony, kind of trying to get Sony to help and then eventually being tapped to be on the employee volunteer committee because they were like, well, if we're going to help you do stuff, you got to help us do stuff. And then there was just this amazing opportunity 
to work in that department that was corporate affairs at the time, but it was basically would become corporate social responsibility, which to lay people is corporate philanthropy. And, you know, working with with someone who I kid her all the time that when I first met Janice Pober, I was so scared of her because she was just this, you know, this person, this being that was doing all these incredible things and that that I got a chance to work for her. And I I basically had like a 45 minute interview with her and she's like, you're hired. Like. And that, and so I was working on, and I asked her why, and she's like, you knew, you knew the community, you knew, you know, um, organizations, you knew all this stuff that I didn't even know I knew, but that somebody else saw in me, um, the potential. And she helped, you know, really kind of grow that, um, and got me to the point where when I left, she was sad, but I was like, well, this is time to keep growing and grow differently. Jim's balance between self-reflection that he saw in the flower, but also then someone else seeing the gold in him too. And I, and I think that's really the needle that we're trying to thread is why like gratitude is where, inner work and working together comes together, right? Like it's not just about your own self-reflection. It's about community and community sort of bringing out the best in you. And and he didn't even know what the best of him was in that moment. Um, and so it's just, ah, it's so rich. And after a while of kind of introspecting and looking into yourself, you kind of need somebody else to be a mirror for you and, and see yourself in new ways. Uh, so I, I imagine the dog tooth violets, you know, growing with other dog tooth violets and they're all kind of looking down at each other and at themselves. And, and it, it is the ecosystem is so necessary because otherwise we just get siloed and we think the world is as big as we are when it's so much more expansive than that. And I love that that work in corporate social responsibility and philanthropy eventually led Jim to where he is now in his career and, um, and working for democracy. So even though he, he, he's not quite able to attain the presidency yet, (laughs) yet, um, he is doing so much amazing work uh, in service of our democracy. I'm at that point in my life where, you know, I'm not going to have that many more jobs. And I don't know if I want that many more jobs. I want to have, you know, a nice retirement at some point. But it has, you know, this work it really does speak to me. And people have asked, why did you leave philanthropy to go um, in this position? And the position is um, director of the National Center for Preservation of Democracy. And we're housed at the Japanese American National Museum. And it is an effort that was started decades ago, but has now had sort of this renewed interest. And it is because for me, you know, I look, there's still a lot of that little kid in me, the same insecurities. I don't think you ever can ever purge all of that. There's still those voices in my head that tell me, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not whatever. And there's a lot of that out in the world as well today. And we see our communities, you know, under attack. And I just really, I don't want any, and I 
I don't want any little kid, any weird little kid anywhere to ever think that they don't have the right and responsibility to participate fully in what we see as a democracy. I, you know, I, we can question, uh, theoretically whether we live in a democracy, but we ostensibly have been told we live in a democracy. So democracy needs to live up to its promise. And so it shouldn't matter what you look like or what your parents look like, where you come from. It shouldn't matter like who you worship or who you love. You know, you have the responsibility to participate and you have the right to participate in whatever way that is. And we've set up rules as to voting and, and other things. But when we talk about collective, you know, this is I go back to the, the Simon Sinek conversation from a few weeks ago, like some of that, I'm still trying to unpack some of that, but it is, to me, the idea of democracy isn't, you know, we have this idea that democracy is, you know, the majority rules, and that's not what democracy is. Democracy is ruled by the people, and democracy is difficult. You get more than three people, it becomes an issue, (laughs) but democracy is ruled by the people, not ruled by the majority of people, but rule of the people, and I think what we have forgotten is that the 90% can't dictate to what the 10% have or are. You can't say the 90% of the people want peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every meal when 10% of the people are allergic to peanut butter. A democracy understands that. A democracy understands that there has to be, there has to be room made for everyone so that everyone moves forward together. There's nobody's left behind. And we're not, we've forgotten that, I think, as a society. We're leaving too many people behind for this idea of, like, majority rules or the ruling class. There is none. It is all of us together. We have to go together. So inspiring. Yeah, I just think that that reminders that we each have a right and a responsibility, right? And I, I remember in President Obama's last speech as president, he said, democracy is threatened when we take it for granted. And that always resonated with me because what is gratitude? Gratitude is what we make visible, but it's also acknowledging, well, what are we making invisible? What are we taking for granted? And we can't let democracy be invisible, right? We actually have to... It takes work, you know, to make the practice of ruling of the people by the people for the people a living embodied experience. Yeah, we have to do it together. That takes a lot of new kinds of conversations and new ways of looking at each other. And and he even said at one point in our conversation, you know, the circles that I run in are just as exclusive and you know, not as inclusive as I would like to see. And so I just love that he really sees the world in that way and really embodies that. Like, can we grow differently? You know, can we understand differently? And I'm excited for potential collaborations with his center because there is that, you know, the idea that it's in a physical space in LA, there's a temple, one of the oldest temples, he said, Japanese temples, that was the place where they honored the Japanese um, Americans went right before they left to go off to internment camps. 
So it's just, it's just such a beautiful idea to have these spaces that hold the history, but also make room for the present and the future to be co-created. And so as we wind down this dialogue and conversation and exploration of curiosity with the dog tooth violet, I invite us all to do a little reflection this week on this question that Jim asked us at the end of our conversation with him. Is there something that you are afraid of and that your curiosity dances around? Because I think that's, for me, some of the issues right now and, and in, the, in my past, that there's, there's this fear and I have a curiosity, but I kind of dance around it. I don't go directly to it. Is there something in your lives that you're working with or trying to understand that you're afraid of or afraid of understanding um, that you think curiosity, more more curiosity could help you learn about? So we invite you to just have a conversation with something that you're afraid of. Literally imagine yourself sitting across a round table with that thing that makes you a little trembly, makes your hands sweat a little. And imagine what that fear wants to show you, like a teacher uh, might want to show you something about you and your life. Please share with us at hello at gratitudeblooming.com. We'd love to hear from you on this exploration. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Arlene, for your story. Melinda, a delight. Wish you well. In 2023, we're excited to work with aligned brand partners like Leona from the candle company, Jia. And Jia in Mandarin means home or family. And we're excited to bring the smell of curiosity, one of our popular themes, into your home. And what I love about collaborating with Leona is that she used to be a sommelier in the hospitality industry in Napa and Sonoma. And during the pandemic, she found a passion for turning her sense of smell into uh, a business focused on really inviting people into this scent of home. And so we're really excited to bring you this collaboration in the form of our candle. And you can pre-order it now at gratitudeblooming.com at our shop. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.